Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I really appreciate Candace sharing some of her thoughts on worship, and she actually did a great job of introducing the topic of today's sermon. Uh, we're in the third week of our series called The Heart of Worship. And you know, with everything going on in the world today, you might wonder why we're taking this time to focus on the topic of worship. Uh, but I believe what I said in the first week of this series. Worship is more important than any other issue that we're facing today. In, in a time like this, when it seems like the world has gone crazy, the best thing we can do is dedicate ourselves to God, to worship Him, not just on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. So let's dive in. And I want to start by giving you a picture of true worship. Uh, Take a look at this circle. Uh, let's say this circle represents all of your waking hours in a normal week. Now, I don't know how much sleep you get, but let's say you have 100 waking hours in a week. So out of that 100 hours, how much of that time is spent on worship? How much of a, a, a follower of Christ, how much of their life is spent on worship? Well, we'll start by thinking about church. Um, the average Christian might spend, we'll say, three hours a week doing official church-type things. And those things would definitely be considered worship. But what about the rest of the week? There's the 3% at church, but what about the other 97%? Would, would you consider that to be worship? A lot of people would say, well, I don't know, because I'm not uh, doing things that are directly about God. But if this is how we think of it, worship is 3%, and, and the rest of our time is spent on other stuff, then, then we're not really following God's plan. God's plan is that we spend all of our lives on worship. The, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all of your mind, and all of your soul, all of your strength. So that's the focus here this morning. How do we learn to worship God 24-7? And how do we think about worship not as a special event, but as a way of life? Now, over the past two weeks, we've looked at several foundational truths about worship. In week one, we said that worship is giving God his rightful place. That's the definition we're using in this series. In week two, we said that true worship is from the heart and it's based on truth. Uh, if it's just a show, it's not real. If it's based on some God of our imagination or some God we invented, that's not real worship either. And today, we're going to focus on one big idea, one truth, and here it is. True worship includes your work and your words and whatever you do. It's that 24-7 perspective. It's the 3% plus the 97%. Uh, but what exactly does that mean? Does that mean you, you go around at work every day just kind of humming worship songs uh, does it mean that you try to bring Jesus into every single conversation that you have? Well, the Bible doesn't explain it that way. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul describes what we're talking about here. And he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in that verse, so let's break it down. And, and first of all, let's, let's look at that word, therefore. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When you're reading the Bible and you come across the word, therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go back and see what that word is there for. So let's do that. This is verse 1 of Romans 12, so let's back up and look at the end of chapter 11. And that chapter ends with this. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you ask me, uh, Paul sounds pretty excited here. And, and what is he excited about? Well, he's excited about God himself. Paul has taken the time to consider who God is, and he's just in awe. He's like, God has a wisdom and a knowledge and a power that is far beyond anything we can imagine. And Paul understands that all of us have one great purpose in life. Every human being was created to bring glory to God. So back to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what was that therefore, therefore? It was about the greatness and the glory of God. And because he is so great, he deserves all of our devotion, all of our praise. But there's a, another important phrase here that we can't miss, in view of God's mercy. Now, what's that talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus, about what God has done through Jesus. Because you and I were separated from God because of our sin, but Jesus said, yes, you deserve to be punished. You deserve to be separated from God forever but I love you too much to let that happen. So Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment that we deserved and then God, through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God offered us mercy and grace. And when you, when you accept that offer, when you receive God's mercy and grace, the only appropriate response is love and gratitude and worship. But what does that worship look like? Well, it's right here in, in the verse. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A lot of you know about Old Testament sacrifices, the, the animal sacrifices back in, in the days of uh, Moses and, and those Old Testament characters. Um, the priest would take a, a sheep or a goat or a bull and lay it on the altar and then kill that animal and offer it to God. But this verse is different, isn't it? Instead of some animal, you offer your body, yourself to God. You give all of yourself to him. And you're not killed like one of those animals. You offer yourself as a living sacrifice. 
All of your life is devoted to him. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a life of worship. So let's get practical. How do you spend your life as a living sacrifice? Well, what's our big idea this morning? True worship includes your work and your words and whatever you do. So let's look at each of these categories one at a time. And we'll start here. True worship includes your work. Now, some people might say, well, yeah, that makes sense for a minister, but my job really doesn't lend itself to worship. And I can understand why someone might say that, but it's just not true. Now, I will say this. If you have a job that goes directly against God's will, uh, like if you're a hitman for, for the mob, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be difficult to worship with that kind of career. But as long as you have an honest job, as long as you make some kind of positive contribution to the world, then yes, worship and work can go hand in hand. Uh, for example, uh, we, can, we can go back to the book of Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, and we can see that this has always been true. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God gave Adam a job, and what was his job? It was to be a gardener. And by the way, this was before Adam and Eve sinned against God. It was before the curse. So work was not some punishment that God gave to man after he sinned. Uh, God did not say, all right, Adam, that's it. Before this, I was okay with you guys just laying around doing nothing, but not anymore. You messed up big time, so now it's time to get off the couch and go get a job. That's, that, that's not it at all. Work was always God's original plan. He gave us gifts and skills and talents, and he calls us to use those gifts in some kind of meaningful occupation. I'll give you another example from the Bible, and this one's kind of surprising. Have you ever heard of a Bible character named Bezalel? If you haven't, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, a week ago, I couldn't have told you anything about Bezalel. Uh, but uh, you can find him back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 31. And what we find here is fascinating. Exodus 31 verse 2, God says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Now, this Bezalel was a special guy. Uh, only a few Old Testament characters are described as being filled with God's Spirit. But why did God do that? Why did God fill Bezalel with his spirit? Well, it was for a specific purpose. Uh, he, he had a, a purpose, and we're about to see it in this next verse. But before we read that, what do you think Bezalel's purpose might have been? Was it uh, to uh, prophesy, uh, to be uh, some kind of fiery preacher? Was it to be a great leader of God's people? Was it to write powerful worship songs? Actually, it was none of those things. Let's look at verse 4. God filled Bezalel with his spirit, with wisdom, with understanding to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. <laughs> 
Now, is that not amazing? Bezalel was an expert craftsman. He made cool stuff. And we don't normally think about that kind of job as an act of worship, but it absolutely can be. Now, at the same time, it is possible to do your job in a way that is not worship. So what's the difference? Well, here's the bottom line. In order to do your job as an act of worship, you have to work for a higher purpose and a greater master. Now, do you want your boss to recognize that you do a good job? Well, sure. And do you want people to appreciate the work that you do? Absolutely. But pleasing people is not what it's about. It's about dedicating your work to God and and striving to represent him well. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and your coworkers know that, everything you do is a reflection of him. So, yes, do your job with excellence. And go to work every day with the attitude of a servant. And and through your occupation, make some kind of positive contribution to the world. Maybe you create something beautiful. Maybe you protect people from harm. Maybe you bring order into a place that was chaos. Maybe you uh, enrich human lives in some way. All of those things, all of those pursuits are reflections of God's character. Let's look at a real-life example from professional sports. Some of you know the name Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson Wentz is a quarterback in the NFL. He started out with the Philadelphia Eagles, and for a lot of his time in Philadelphia, he was very, very good. Uh, In 2019, he threw for 4,039 yards, which was the highest season total in Eagles franchise history. Now, he's had a few struggles along the way, uh, a few injuries. He was traded to the Colts last year, and just a few weeks ago, he injured his foot in training camp. And he's hoping to be back for week one of the regular season. But at the end of the day, Carson Wentz has made it very clear His life is about much more than football. He's a follower of Jesus, and he's working for a higher purpose and a greater master. In 2017, he started a foundation called Audience of One, or AO1. And I love that name, Audience of One. It means whatever you do, whether you play football or you work at a hospital or you make widgets, You do your job for an audience of one. Your audience is God. It's an act of worship. Carson put it this way. He said, audience of one was a motto I picked up early in my career. And it stuck with me as a player because I'm playing this game for a bigger purpose. But it also carries over to everything I do in life. I'm doing it for the Lord and not myself. It changes my mindset on an everyday basis. One day, Carson won't be playing football anymore. That day might be years away, or it might be coming soon. Who knows? But either way, Carson can take this attitude and apply it to whatever he does in the future. So what about you? If you have given your life to Jesus as a living sacrifice, how can you think of your job as an act of worship? How, how can you think of practical ways to dedicate your career and your occupation to him? 
Paul says it well in Colossians 3.23. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So that's part one of our big idea. Uh, True worship includes your work. And here's part two. True worship also includes your words. Now, there's an obvious meaning here, but there's also a more subtle meaning. The obvious meaning is about singing worship songs and speaking directly about God or speaking directly to God. But let's think about that subtle meaning. What about just the normal conversations we have every day? What about all those times when you're talking to your friends or your family or your coworkers? Uh, what, 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 how do we worship God just in our, our regular discussions? Well, I have a challenge for all of us. The challenge is to invite God into your everyday conversations. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it goes back to this idea of being a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says to offer your whole body to God, and you know, your tongue is a part of your body. So that means you give God control of everything that you say. And uh, this is something we probably don't talk about enough, because for followers of Jesus, this is a huge issue. All too often, there's a contradiction in the lives of Christians. On the one hand, we, we can talk a pretty good game when it comes to God. We sing worship songs. We say the things that you're supposed to say. But then as soon as we're out of church mode, uh, things change. Maybe we use words to hurt people, either to their face or behind their back. Maybe we tell crude jokes or we use the same kind of profanity you would expect to hear outside the church. The book of James addresses this contradiction James 3.10 says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? You know, when I was a kid, my parents gave my brother and I a list of bad words that we weren't supposed to say. And uh, growing up in a preacher's house, that list was pretty long. But as followers of Jesus, what should be on that list? What makes a bad word a bad word? About a week ago, we actually talked about this in our family. And we want our kids to understand why we would say or not say certain things. For example, think about the word hell, H-E double hockey sticks. Uh, What's the problem with that word? After all, (laughs) when I'm up here preaching, I use that word on a regular basis. Well, here's the deal. Hell is not some imaginary idea. Hell is real. Uh, Without a relationship with Jesus, people are headed for an eternity without God in hell. So if we throw around that word like it's no big deal, we minimize the seriousness of hell. Or, Or let's think about another one. How about the F word? (laughs) years ago people used to talk about the f-bomb but it's hard to think about it as a bomb these days because you hear it all the time so what's wrong with throwing a wtf into your conversations well it's similar to what i said about hell 
The F word degrades something that God designed to be sacred. Sex was created by God to be the most intimate connection between human beings. Sex is a holy thing to be shared only between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. But the F word takes that holy thing and drags it through the mud and makes it cheap and disgusting. Okay, just one more. What about those times when we take God's name in vain? Well, it's the same thing. If we use God's name in a trivial way, we minimize and trivialize him. It's the opposite of worship. It's the opposite of giving God his rightful place. Now, most of us are not perfect in this area. Uh, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, it's very easy for us to say something we shouldn't say. But James 3.10 is still true. Blessing and cursing should not come out of the same mouth. So for all of us who follow Jesus, what kind of language should we be using? Well, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Only say those things that are helpful and beneficial. So, Think about your own life. In your conversations, do you tend to go negative? Do you sort of enjoy talking bad about people and saying things that you have not said to them directly? Do you use your words to tear people down or build people up? I've noticed that negative talk is very, very contagious. A few years ago, uh, I, I was talking to a, a small group of friends, and uh, for a while the, the discussion was uh, really positive. But all of a sudden, one person started to get really critical and negative. Now, please hear me, there's definitely a time and a place for positive, constructive criticism. I'm not talking about that, but in this case, the discussion took a turn that was unhealthy. And it was amazing to see how quickly the group followed that first person's example. Sometimes that happens before you even realize it. So take a second and ask yourself, when I'm at work, when I'm with my family, when I'm hanging out with my friends, am I building others up with my words? Do I try to be as encouraging as I can possibly be when you present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, that means you surrender your words to him as an act of worship. Okay, there's one last piece of our big idea, and we'll hit on this one very briefly. True worship includes whatever you do. And yes, that's a very broad statement, but remember that chart we looked at. Worship is a 24-7 lifestyle if we're doing it the way God designed it. And that means we don't compartmentalize our lives into different sections. We don't say, God, you can have this part of my life. You can also have this part, <laughs> but this over here, you can't have that. So what about you? What is it in your life that you struggle to surrender to God? Maybe it's the way you spend your money. 
Maybe it's the way you spend your time. Maybe it's the way you treat certain people, like your spouse or your parents or your kids. Maybe it's a habit or, or some addiction that just feels impossible to give up. I don't know what it might be for you, but we all have areas where we find it very difficult to surrender to God. So let's go back to Romans 12, 1. Therefore, because of who God is, because of his greatness and, and goodness and his glory and his power, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the grace that he offered us through the sacrifice of Jesus, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So it's your whole body, your whole self, a living sacrifice. And that means you don't sit on the altar but leave one hand hanging off like, God, you can't have that. It also means that you don't jump off the altar now and then so you can do whatever you want and then hop back on. Now, this, this means you give 100% of yourself to him. Now, until you experience a, a life-changing relationship with Jesus, this kind of surrender and sacrifice, it's not going to make sense. But once you know the greatness of God and you have experienced his love and his grace, it only makes sense to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You do that out of love and gratitude. But let's be honest, uh, even if we have experienced that relationship with Jesus, and even if we have a genuine desire to be that living sacrifice, it's not easy to follow through with this commitment. If we're going to live a life of worship every day, we need help. And where does that help come from? Well, we, we talk about this pretty regularly. Uh, first, that help comes directly from God. The Holy Spirit will provide exactly what you need, but you have to stay connected with him. Go to God's word and listen to him. Go to God in prayer and share your heart, share your struggles. Ask him to help you surrender to him. This week, uh, I want to give you an extra resource to help you connect with God I don't think we've ever done this before, but we recorded a special podcast that's designed to lead you in worship. Uh, the podcast is short, it's less than 15 minutes, uh, and it guides you through a time of scripture and prayer. Uh, you can listen to it later today. Uh, when the, the sermon podcast comes out, you can go to plumcreek.org slash listen. Uh, you can also download it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, just search for Plum Creek Christian Church, and, and it'll say bonus episode, and the title is Worship the Other 97%. Uh, you can listen to this while you're at home or you're driving or when you're out for a walk or a run, uh, whatever works for you. The point is to connect with God and let him lead you into this life of worship. Now, there's another place to find help, and, and we talk about this, too. We can find help within the church. As followers of Jesus, we're meant to encourage each other. We're meant to develop the kinds of relationships where we challenge each other to follow Jesus more closely. That's why it's very important not only to participate in the Sunday morning worship service, but also to be a part of something like a life group. And right now is 
the best time in the entire year to join a life group. Uh, they begin in just a few weeks. And you can sign up for a group out at the information center after service, or you can go to plumcreek.org slash lifegroups. Don't underestimate the power of these relationships with other followers of Christ. Uh, we can inspire each other to live for God as a living sacrifice. I want to close by telling you about a woman who inspired me this week. Uh, this woman is a, a follower of Jesus. She lives in Iran. And for many believers in places like Iran and Afghanistan, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. Uh, following Jesus literally means you are laying down your life. I want to uh, share this woman's words with you. She says, here in the Islamic Republic of Iran, we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us, and then they will beat us, and then ultimately they will kill us. This is the decision we have made, that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Because I have this thought when I wake up, that when I leave that door, I might not come back. I've talked to my husband, and we have made an agreement that this is the decision of our lives. So if we leave that door and we don't come back, we accept the consequences of what happens. Here in America, we ask ourselves, am I willing to live for Christ? But in places like Iran and Afghanistan, Christians are asking, am I ready to die for Christ? And clearly, many of them are. Let's pray for these brothers and sisters and let's realize that, yes, giving your life to Jesus, it is a sacrifice, but it's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, I, I praise you and thank you for who you are, for your greatness and your goodness and, and your love, for your power and your glory. You are so far beyond and above us. And Lord, I, I want to lift up these brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering because of their commitment to you. Uh, they are very clear about what's most important in life. And here in our setting where we can be so comfortable, I pray that we will be encouraged and inspired by believers who have laid everything on the line Lord, help us to let go of anything that gets in the way of you, anything that uh, we're tempted to put above you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.